What is up, everybody? You might hear a little thunder. It's raining outside. It's coming down. Big fat raindrops. It's been a wet year. It's been a wet year. Could be good. Could be good for the elk that are left. The elk and deer that are left are going to have lots of grass to eat, which is good. A lot of them died. Antelope, a lot of antelope died too. It's been a rough winter. And uh, Jared Polis decided to um, not allow the farmers, ranchers, etc. to have a management plan in place before reintroducing wolves into Colorado. Uh, so that's stupid. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We're going to read into that just a little bit because it's anti-science and it's obnoxious. Um, not a ton was going on. I mean, obviously this whole, the Russiagate thing has been proven to be a complete falsehood from the jump for like the fifth time, but nobody really wants to hear that. And it was kind of interesting. I was, I was enjoying reading about it and for my own self, but not really something I want to talk about here. Obviously, that was bullshit. There was a collusion. It was annoying. It was a Hillary Clinton run thing. Hillary Clinton is a is a evil demon lady. It is what it is. Not much else we need to say about that. It is what it is. Like it's we've known this forever. Um, but you know, such is life, right? Oh, the government lied to us about a thing. It's like okay, yeah, that's this is America. <laughs> After all, this is what happens in this free country. But you know, I was thinking as as we've seen this this migrant kind of crisis on the border, it's gotten more and more extreme over the past few years. And sometimes when I feel like something like, "Wow, that's really wild," like that's pretty crazy. What's that about? You know, I like to when I think about when I think that when I get kind of caught in that belief, I like to zoom out. Like to zoom out and just be like, hey, what's really going on here? You know? And when you think about human trends and human migration, I think that what is happening on the border is natural. I mean, the amount of plastic pollution and the violence maybe the plastic pollution is not natural. Violence is pretty natural. But exploitation is pretty natural. These are things that have been part of humanity forever. And just many animal species, especially primates, will exploit one another and yada, yada, yada. We all know this. But when I say the migration is natural, what I'm saying is this is what humans have done throughout our migratory history. Generally speaking, we go to places with cooler shit. That's what we do as a human being. If you take race out of it and ethnicity and countries and borders, what we do as a species is wander around until we find cooler shit. And then a lot of times we go find the cool shit and then we ruin that place. <laughs> right? Like that, that happens often too. Sometimes it's really cool. Sometimes the Romans are like, we're just going to go find all the cool shit and build buildings that are still standing, you know, a couple hundred years later, a thousand years later, whatever. So, um, when you really think about it on human terms, the idea of trying to stop human beings from crossing a border because there's cooler shit on the other side of it, it's kind of like trying to divert a river. You know what I mean? Or is You can't stop a river from flowing. It just is what it is. I mean, dams do that. It takes a lot of work. It can't be done. Maybe the wall is the answer. But at the end of the day, what is happening is a normal process of historical migration patterns. 
if they're, especially when it comes to economic opportunity, the people go where the cooler shit is, like moths to a flame. Now, the cool shit years and years and years ago was quite different than the cool shit now. Like, the cool shit now, for whatever reason, is like a minimum wage job at fucking Sonic or whatever. Um, but, you know, times change and cool shit changes. I personally think the cool shit a thousand years ago is a lot cooler than the cool shit now. You know, I'm not one of those people. I disagree with Joe Rogan that this is the best time that's ever been ever. I think if you, I would like to, I'd like to see, I'd like to go back. I wish time travel was a thing. Just go check some other places out. Check out some other times. See what their priorities were. See what they were about. You know, you may walk into a place where it's like mass human sacrifice and you're like, not chill with that. And you go somewhere else. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that dinosaurs were birds though. I'm pretty sure I've been really getting on this thing where I feel like dinosaurs looked more like fucking birds than we like to think. I think Jurassic Park is bullshit. I think they had feathers. I think they were super fucking rad and very colorful and pretty. That's the way I want to see dinosaurs. I want to see T-Rex like almost looking like a fucking drag queen. Just like bright, feathers everywhere, over the top, you know, thick ass legs. Like just the whole thing. And I always think it's funny, like, if you could, when you see, like, renderings of dinosaurs or just movies with dinosaurs in them, like, how we, we like, accept that as the reality of what a dinosaur looks like. When we're in, we don't fucking know. We have no fucking clue. Like, for so long, they were so wrong about that. You know what I mean? And then it comes out that they, you know, oh, well, they actually have, like, a lot of feathers. They're more bird-like, which makes total sense because if you look at a fucking bird, it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of the same. They got a beak now, which is a little different, but like who who fucking knows? We always have all the we always think we fucking know. We always think we know. We're gonna talk about that a little bit on something to think about. Just these ideas that we hold on to unconsciously from that we like these 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 decisions we made when we were children and how we hold on to those and they affect our lives. It's weird. It's a weird time. But yeah, I think the migrant situation is quite natural. It's just what humans do. Does that mean it's good? No. What humans do is often not good. Western expansionism, which was what, what was what was Western expansionism, right? Because whenever the United States was founded, it was like the East Coast, a little bit of the South, right? It was like that little section of, of, of what is now the current United States. And then what happened? A bunch of people broke the rules that had been established to go find cool shit, Right? And somebody who was already there paid the price for that, right? Now, you can say, well, we, as, you, as Americans, we went and found the cool shit and made shit better. And yeah, that's what the people who go over there to find the cooler shit will always say to justify their behavior, right? But the people that were there before don't think that what was happening was lit. They just, that, was not, that was not their perception of reality there, Right? Now, you could try to be objective, but you can't <laughs> because there isn't really, right? It's like, yeah, everybody was doing fucked up shit. You know, read Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy and see how crazy that shit was. Wild. But that's what it is. That's what human nature is. You know, the British did this shit. The Empire. Just go find cool shit. Fuck everybody else. Find cool shit. So you can't really blame these people coming from South America through Mexico saying, fuck you. I want cool shit. That's what we do. That's what humans do. We say, fuck you, I want cool shit. That's it. That's like part of our thing, you know, to our detriment, you know? And I don't know why we have to be in denial of that. 
and act like this is some kind of like unusual thing. This is the thing we do. And I don't think anybody's really put it in those terms before. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think we need like a strong border. But the reason you have to have borders is because people want to come find cool shit. That's why you have agreements on what stops where and where you can go and these different things. Is because without those, people just roam around trying to find the coolest shit and taking it. And everybody else be damned. So maybe, maybe look at the migrant crisis through that lens. I don't know if it'll change anything. Doesn't make it any better. Doesn't save any lives. But it is a way to look at it. Now, we're going to get into something here. And there's, a, like I said, wasn't a ton going on. We're going to talk about Robert F. Kennedy. And this is the reason we're bringing up Robert F. Kennedy so much in this show. Because, as we talked about, this isn't a, isn't a purely political show. But the way he's being treated is kind of like the canary in the coal mine, right? Like the way that he's being treated, the, the conversation around him, tells us more about where we're at as a country what kind of discourse we're capable of, where people blind, where blind spots are. We can learn a lot from the way that RFK is being kind of received, discussed, and 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 handled. That's that will that will like shine light on the kind of our current situation. That's that's really more aside from the fact that I'm a supporter of his, of course, but like, and I like talking about it because it's fun. But it does tell us more, and there's more in there that we can dig into. Now he was on Breaking Points. Breaking Points is my go-to news outlet. Um, I love Crystal and Sager. I think it's good to have kind of a more pragmatic uh, lefty perspective uh, from Crystal. That being said, I do find that she fails to evolve her ideas. Um, she's maybe a little more outspoken about those than Sager, so I don't really have the same criticism for him. Uh, but I think that she doesn't really confront hard reality sometimes. That's okay, though. I appreciate that. I think there's 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 some beauty in that. I think there's value in that kind of discourse, and I like that. I respect Crystal, and I res- again respect Sagar as well. That being said, and this is going to sound really harsh, she made a fucking fool of herself in this interview with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And it's hard for me to even look at it the same way. Like these, Crystal and Sagar talk a big game about journalistic integrity, objectivity, yada yada yada, right? Which is great, but if you're going to say things like that, if you're going to talk that game, you got to show up, you know, with a full clip here. Like you've really got to show up, informed, educated, with quality discourse. You can't wade into something like that haphazardly, or it'll blow up in your face. Which is exactly what it did. And it's not just me saying this. Like the comments on these videos are. 85% in in agreement with what I'm saying here. I wasn't sure if it was just me. I wasn't really, I, I didn't know, but like I was upset about this and it, it really let me down, you know? And it's not that I have like some kind of allegiance with these people, but they are my go-to people for this kind of stuff. You know, like Kyle Kalinske kind of just like, he is, a, he's so assured of his own rightness that it's kind of annoying. Hassan Piker is a joke. On the other other side, Ben Shapiro is so self righteous and, and and sanctimonious, which is why he loves Ron DeSantis so much. Like it's there's so much of that going on where it's like I get to hear Crystal and Saga just kind of shoot the shit, and it's good. Um, talk about what's going on, and because I don't really want to be that invested in it all the time anymore, it's good to just get like an overview of what's what seems to matter. But we're gonna play this entire debate about vaccines um, between Crystal and and RFK here, and. We're going to kind of just break it down piece by piece. It's about nine minutes, so we're just going to jump into this. 
and discuss kind of what was going on here and, and really why she was even in this position because she is in very much in support of Marianne Williamson who officiated her wedding, who is a dear friend of hers, which seems awesome. I think Marianne is a great person. I don't think she's capable of winning this election by any stretch of the imagination. And I think her ideas are a little bit outdated. They kind of resonated more in 2016. And we're going to talk a little bit about that through this as well. But I like Marianne and I'd like for her to have a role in the administration. Um, just cause I think she, she is a principled human being, uh, and a very thoughtful human being. And yeah, I have a lot of respect for, her. but Marianne has very similar opinions when it comes to pharma and the vaccine industry that Robert F. Kennedy does. Right, so the, they they share these opinions. I ha, I have a hard time believing that Crystal will approach that conversation with Marianne in the same way that she approached it with RFK. So let's just go ahead and play this here, and we're going to break it down kind of piece by piece. So let me ask you about vaccines. This is an area where you and I have um, significant differences, and you know, just to level with you on this, like a lot of what you say, I really respond to. I think you're a very genuine person. But the across the board, um, whether you want to call it vaccine skepticism or anti-vax advocacy, which has been a central part of what you've been up to for the past number of years, for me personally, it's a it's an issue and it's a it's a real sort of red line. And I know I'm not alone in that, especially running in a Democratic primary. There are going to be other millions of people like me who have similar concerns. So how how do you win them over? What's your message to people who think like I do? Well, but just tell me. Um, tell me where you think I got it wrong. Well, I think you get it wrong when you draw a uh, correlation between the rise of things like autism and the introduction of vaccines when there isn't hard scientific evidence tying those things together. How do you know? Let let me ask you this. How do you know there's not a hard scientific evidence? Well, because the one major study that purported to show that was retracted and the scientist who conducted it was, um, you know, had to, was now, what you're doing now, basically Crystal. fraudulently created. Listen, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in a debate with you about this because you've spent your life pulling out this study. Now I will tell you, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, I've listened to hours of interviews with you with an, yeah. an open mind and I'm not persuaded. Now, maybe I'm wrong. That's possible. I'll hold it out there. People can watch. I thought Megyn Kelly did a phenomenal interview with you that went through all these claims piece by piece by piece. I really encourage people to watch that whole exchange because we won't be able to do it justice here in the five minutes we have left. So you bring up a very contentious and deep topic, but you don't want to get into a debate about it. And to be honest, you didn't come prepared for it. You didn't come prepared, right? Now, what RFK says when it comes to autism and things like that, as it pertains to vaccines, is that there are a lot of things that happened in the in the late mid to late eighties when this stuff started to change. Chronic illness, things like autism, Tourette's, uh, ADHD, different autoimmune diseases, and chronic illnesses began to skyrocket. Right when he was young, he talks about how it was like one in ten or one in thirty thousand people were autistic. Now it's one in thirty five. Things like chronic illnesses, like 65% of people in the United States have some kind of chronic illness. That's something that the NIH and the CDC, these people should be very concerned about and investing tons of money and time and resources into understanding. And they are not. That There's something to be said for that. 
Now, what is causing these things? Because the research isn't being done by these primary institutions, these centralized authorities within our government, since that research isn't being done by them, and they don't have an incentive to understand that because they essentially work as incubators for pharmaceutical companies, that's what they do now. They're offshoots of, of, of big business. They don't have an incentive in understanding these things. It's too complicated. There's not a pill to fix it. And it would require transparency and accountability, which is what Robert F. Kennedy should be focused on here is transparency and accountability, right? And those two words should be burned into everybody's brain who listens to him because that's what we want, right? If we have transparency and the the method and the machinery for accountability, then we, the people, can make decisions as we see fit when it comes to electing officials and representatives and so on. And I think legal protections are also a part of that, right? That, that's, a, that's a barrier to accountability. So when you think about that, I don't understand if Crystal is, is opposed to these companies being faced with transparency and accountability. It seems like someone who has such an issue with corporate power, um, profit motives, would be really open-minded to someone, even if they disagree on the science to someone who's going to force transparency and accountability for corporations, for major corporations who have been siphoning money from the federal government, our money, right? That, that seems like it's out of integrity for me, whether or not you agree with the science or not. And what RFK says is it may be vaccines. It may be uh, glyphosate from high fructose corn syrup, which also became very popular in the, in the late eighties. It could be a lot of things, flame retardants, uh, uh, different chemicals that are in cosmetics. It could be all, there's so many things here that are illegal other places for fucking good reason, right? And that's why our health outcomes are awful. So doesn't really handle this in good faith. And it hurts me to say this because I do have a lot of respect for Crystal. And and it it was kind of a fall from grace in, in, a, in a certain way. And she brings up the Megyn Kelly interview. And I want to I want to show you this part of the Megyn Kelly interview where she discusses kind of her relationship and understanding of RFK. So check this out. But I said this before when you were on. I've had an evolution on you. Um, I remember being on the chairlift with a friend of mine in December of 2021, I think it was. And she was reading your book. And um, maybe anyway, it, was, it was a few months before I interviewed you. And I said, oh, you know, you should be careful because, you know, you, you sort of if you take in the wrong information, then you're saying the wrong thing to everybody. And she was like, well, he has some really interesting things to say. You might want to look at it. So I did. Started looking at your book, started reading it, started looking up the sources that you cited and support. Then went to my team and said, let's check his sources. Let's see what other people say about his sources. Is he, is he citing the right sources? And turned into this long interview we did. And your claims checked out the most controversial stuff that you get labeled a kook for saying, uh, checked out time after time after time. And this is not a full endorsement of everything you've ever said, but my, my takeaway was this guy has been unfairly maligned by people who are so pro-vaccine that they just needed to silence him. So it works to the point where there's a fair amount of people who say like, oh, he's a kook. My friends at National Review, we pulled it just not to insult you, but uh, Jim Garrity, who I really like, said, you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> and there's similar. But I'll bet you he hasn't done half the work my team and I have to actually see whether that's true. So this censorship actually does have a negative effect on you. 
that's one way to look at it, right? Because a lot of the claims check out, you know. And Crystal says that he doesn't want to hear it. But let's uh, let's uh, let's continue this this breaking points interview with RFK. But there are going to be people like me who aren't persuaded and who see this as an issue. And the fact that it's been such a central part of your advocacy means I can't just sort of put it to the side and say, oh, well, I'll just ignore, you know, this piece that's been. So here's what's going on here. And this is this is my kind of like conjecture on this as someone who is relatively fascinated and loves to study human behavior. What Crystal's trying to do is justify her own choices. As a parent, right, I can see how you make decisions because you think they're the best for your children, and it's very uncomfortable to maybe wrap your mind around the fact that you may have made the wrong choice for your kids or for yourself. And when, when confronted with that, the immediate response of this is defensiveness and, and becoming emotional. And there's nothing about this, what Crystal's presenting here, that's not emotional. This is an emotional response. It's measured, but it's emotionally driven, not logically driven. It's not driven by science or facts or data. It's driven by her emotions. To confront the fact that you may have injected your kid with shit they didn't need or been kind of conned into something that was driven by profit motives, right? which you would think as someone who is, is, is critical of capitalism would be able to wrap their mind around that, right? But that's hard for a parent to do. And as somebody who has repeated that the COVID jab saved bajillions of lives over and over again, maybe for the YouTube censors, maybe because that makes her feel comfortable in believing that, I don't know. But I can see how it's hard to accept this reality that's so far away from what you've been told to believe. And I think that's where the emotion is coming from. And I totally understand. That's why people get so upset about this, this childhood vaccine thing. I think it's why people are so emotionally invested because especially that, that certain parents just have this need to like emotionally defend every choice they make as if every choice they made was the right choice. And I will tell you this as a parent of a four month old kid, Four and a half month old. There are things that I did that I probably could have done better. Right? Already. And I'm not even half a year in yet. And being open to what you can do better and what you may have gotten wrong is, in my opinion, a key to growth. And I think this emotional defensiveness that's being displayed by Crystal right now is limiting her understanding of a complex issue. And not doing her credibility any favors in the process. Really important to you in your life. So you're running in a Democratic primary. You have a lot of people who feel even more strongly than me who think that, you know, Dr. Fauci is a hero and all of these things. How are you going to persuade them? How are you going to reach them? And what is your message to them? Well, uh, first of all, I'm not leading with, you know, my opinions about vaccines. But what I say to people is show me where I got it wrong. Show me that where I got my science wrong. I've written books about this. I've, you know, I wrote a book about the link between thimerosal and autism that has, I think, 450 distilled scientific studies that confirm and validate that hypothesis and 1,400 references. And if I got something wrong, show me where it is. But I think people uh, have shown you where things are no, wrong, no, no, but no, you don't want to hear no. it. Is because I've seen, you know, numerous. Fact checks, Dr. Vinay Prasad, who we... Vinay Prasad's fact check of him on the All In podcast was really good, and I recommend you guys go check it out. The criticisms he has were very 
mild and on the periphery. They really didn't confront any hard, big um, revelations at all. You know, really respect on uh, the COVID vaccine. He went through your interview with All In. He did a fact check. I mean, it's not. And, and I people did have, a fact check of, and I, you should read that. I will take a look at it. But I, I, I don't I, think that it's fair to Chris, say nobody me, has ever pointed out anything that's been, that's I, been I, wrong. Well, here's what I, people complain about what I say. Mm. And I, again, I'm not leading on this issue, so people can either take it or leave it. But if you want to, you know, I what you just said about me, that I'm sort of hard-headed and stubborn and just won't give in, you're wrong about that. If somebody shows me where I'm wrong, I'm going to correct it. And, you know, we have the most, probably the most robust fact-checking operation now in North America. I have 350 PhD scientists and MD physicians on, you know, CHD's uh, advisory board, including until recently, Luke Montanier won the Nobel Prize for uh, for discovering the HIV virus. Chris Portier, who's the head of the National Toxicity Program at NIH, formerly, probably the top, top toxicologist in America. And if I were saying things that were scientifically unsound, those people would not stay with us. What I would say to you is show me where I got it wrong. Show me a study that where I got wrong and I will change my position. I, you know, science is fluid. It's not a uh, an embarrassment to me if there's a new scientific study that I haven't seen that comes out and says I'm wrong. That's what you're supposed to do with science. But what I'm saying to you, nobody has done that. You know, if an A. Prasad, when he did his piece... If he showed me a science that was valid, I would say I would change my position. If but, we got the two read, of you together, read would my, you, so, you know, read my response this, to him. So you say this isn't what you're leading with. But I just have to say, as someone who, you know, is, is watching your candidacy closely and is aware of the advocacy you've been doing and, you know, the organization that you um, are involved with, it's hard for me to believe this won't be an important part of how you govern. So I think that's the most important piece for people to get who you have to accept there are going to be people like me who just don't agree with you on this. Um, you you know certainly understand that there are many who do think that the vaccines that we have are more beneficial than harmful, that you know got their kids vaccinated and are gr- happy for that decision. See? They got their kids vaccinated and they're happy for it and they believe this. We're, this is that, that's, that's the language of religion. That's not the language of science. Belie- you don't believe in science. Science exists outside of your belief. You know, God, on the other hand, religion, yeah, you can be happy that you brought your kids up in the church and that you instilled these values, whatever, because you believe in them. Yeah, that's cool, whatever. But that's a belief-based situation. Science is not belief-based. Science does not change whether or not you fucking believe in it. It just is. So you can see this here. It's like that that was a window into this emotional response that we're seeing. Um, So how is this going to impact the way that you govern or does it not at all? I mean, I'm going to govern according to, you know, what evidence based medicine. Uh, That's, you know, that's let me let me give a specific question. If there's another pandemic. In the last pandemic, uh, former President Trump, something we gave him a lot of credit for, he launched Operation Warp Speed. Um, They had a whole-of-government approach. They used the mRNA technology that was developed using, you know, U.S. taxpayer dollars to get a vaccine out to the population as quickly as possible. How would your approach have differed? 
my approach would have been a science-based approach. Which means what? Which means uh, and a medicine-based approach, the approach that has been used for, you know, and approved for decades. You look first at therapeutics that are off the shelf, and you look at the efficacy of those. I mean, what I would have done if I was in power then, I would have created an information grid because now we have this internet that is supposed to benefit us and has become instant an instrument for, you know, um, totalitarian control. But let's use it for something good. Let's link all 15 million doctors, frontline physicians all over the world and find out what they're doing to treat this new respiratory virus and find out what they're saying is working and not working and then test that with science um, and then may turn it into instantaneously into protocols and recommendations for other scientists. So what a vaccine did, development... <sighs> Crystal with this vaccine shit. So what he's saying there is creating an information grid. So you have 15 million kind of frontline doctors who are on the ground. By the way, Fauci, Burks, these people, they didn't treat a single COVID patient, right? But there are people out there that are treat, we're treating COVID patients, we're trying different things. And that just like in a market, right, you have different ideas, Different ideas have merit, have value. You try different things. That's what science is, right? You try this, see if this works. What are the trend lines doing? What is the information saying? Oh, this seems like it may be working. Let's test this and see if it works. What are the benefits? What are the what are the uh, what are the costs? And you have that constant dialogue, which is easy to do when you have that many data points, right? Millions and millions of people treating millions and millions of people. It, that that all could have been done, right? Via technology. And we had the access to do that, but what we what we leaned towards was a centralized authoritarian protocol, which gives us no variation. And what you want in science is variation. You don't want all the countries doing the same thing. You want people trying different stuff. You want different states trying different things and seeing what works, right? And now the reason you would want a centralized control of something like that is so that you wouldn't have to be account accountable for your mistakes because everybody would be making the same mistakes and have the same blind spots. But with variety and variation and, and more nuance in the way this is handled, you can see, okay, this worked, that worked, and then you can take data from that into the next situation that may be similar and then apply that as necessary there. What we saw through the pandemic was that a centralized response is the wrong idea. Right, what they're trying to do with the WHO and these different organizations to have one response to a respiratory virus is moronic. It's a terrible idea, and it will cost lives. What you want is a varied response and as many data points as you can gather as quickly as possible to have an adequate uh, response to something that as catastrophic as COVID was early on. So when you look at it, and then Crystal doesn't even address any of that and goes, "Would vaccine development be a be a part of this response?" She's so invested in Pfizer and Moderna. I don't, I, it blow, it melts my fucking brain. Like why? What, a, what, what, what allegiance do you have to these major gigantic corporations who have been gobbling up public money? What, what did they do for you, Crystal? What did they do for you? I don't, I, it just, it, it's, it's so outside of like what I respect about this person. It seems so, it seems like she's taking one thing and letting it break her principles into a million pieces. And I don't, I cannot for the life of me understand it. We did the infer- well, you know, I don't think the vaccine worked. I think, you know, if you think it worked, then try to explain to me why the countries that were unvaccinated 
did much better than our than well, our many our, of those countries because there are a lot of different factors well, in various countries. So a lot right. of those countries, as you pointed well, out before, why do we, we have hold why on, do we have on. the highest death rate well, count in, in the world by far? I think there are a lot of factors that may go into that. Yeah. One of them is the fact that we are disproportionately obese as a society. Okay, so let's discuss that, right? We're disproportionately obese as a society. Well, maybe the fact that we allow things in our food that trend, tend to make people obese, we have a food addiction and essentially a drug cartel that is producing our food. We lean into that, right? And then what do we use to solve the problems that are caused by our food? Oh, we wind back around the pharmaceutical industry. So maybe big food and big pharma are in some kind of shared interest collusion here to increase their profits. But in the meantime, Crystal Ball is going to parrot the talking points of that industry that is profiting off of obesity and sickness that's being created by our, our food industry. So at what, what, what are you doing here, Crystal? Like, what's the end goal here? Are you defending the system that makes people fat and sick that has them reliant on pharmaceutical drugs? Organizations and human beings run on incentives, right? So the food industry is incentivized to have people sticking as much of their shit in their mouths as possible. And the pharmaceutical industry is incentivized to have you taking as many of their pills and shots as you possibly can, right? So, Crystal, my question for you in this situation is what is your incentive here? How are you incentivized? Because you don't work for MSNBC anymore, right? So you're not, Pfizer's not running ads on your show. So you have no reason to be beholden to them. And if anything, you should you have an incentive to be critical and skeptical of corporate interests. But it seems like in this one area of your life, that is turned upside down completely. We have the negative health outcomes that you've been that? talking about. We don't go outside as much as countries, say, in Africa. I mean, we have there are a lot of different factors that may play into that. But I will I will say. Did the vaccines work in the way they were initially promised to prevent spread? <laughs> no, I don't think so, especially once you got to later variants. But we have a lot of data that shows that in terms of reducing severe hospitalization and death, the vaccines were really important. And maybe there so was a cost-benefit analysis. I want to see that data. I know that's what the industry says. There is lots of data, and not just from here, oh. from around the world, that shows the vaccine doses, and not just our vaccines, but ones that were created all around the world, reduce severe hospitalization and death. So in that way, yes, I do very much believe that they were. And let me tell you something. I, what I believe you're doing now is you're parroting <laughs> what the public health agencies have been saying, but they do not have a scientific basis for that. And I have another book out that you should look at called Died Suddenly that goes through all the Johns Hopkins data, which is the you know dashboard data that everybody uses mm. and shows exactly what happened when the – first of all, the even the, the – the vaccine, the Case Western study that is the, probably the largest, most recent, mm -hmm. shows that at most the vaccine gives you a very, very small amount of protection and that after seven months, you go into negative efficacy. So you are more, if you got vaccinated, you're more likely to get sick, you're more likely to get severe illness, and you're more likely to die than if you were unvaccinated. I have not seen that. I have well, that, seen well, study then, after study that shows the opposite. Listen, I don't want to get bogged down in this because... You don't want to get bogged down. You also don't want to listen. You don't want to be challenged. You want to be right. That's what you want to be, Crystal. You want to be right. And it's so abundantly obvious in this video.
So uh, I don't think we're going to see eye to eye here. And we have some other questions we want to get to and your time is short. But we'll put in post, you know, please send us what you're looking at. Yeah, we're happy we'll put, to put what I'm looking at and people can can judge for themselves. Hey, guys. OK, so as we see this here. I want to put this out there, too, because I don't think that Crystal really wraps her mind around the, the perception of this. And Crystal and Sauger love them both. Like I said, I'm being critical here because I feel like I have an integrity to be critical here. But they have DC brain. Like so When it came to the vaccine stuff and COVID stuff, they, they were in alignment with what people in DC thought. And again, if you like live in an environment and you're surround, constantly surrounded by that environment, you're going to take on characteristics of that environment. Right, I think if Sauger lived in College Station, Texas, still, right, and his life was minimally impacted by COVID, he probably wouldn't have gotten vaccinated. The dude was caring about his health. He was getting fit. He was doing his things. Crystal was a collegiate swimmer. Probably has better lung function than ninety nine point nine percent of Americans. Didn't need that shit, right? Pretty fucking straightforward, right? Both of them are also young. And it, 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 to, to Sauger's credit, the dude got his shit together at the beginning of COVID. Like, he's gotten exponentially healthier, healthier since then. So, props to him for that. But when you think about the things that Crystal seems to really care about, right? The healthcare system, all these things. Let's just take Medicare for all for one. I'm somebody who was pretty open to the idea of a single-payer system. I have been more open to, like, a public option than a Medicare for all system. like what Bernie, But I was always skeptical of that and never thought it was actually reasonable. And, and RFK said the same thing. It was like, it's just politically kind of impossible. So let's work with what we can work with here. That being said, after the experience with the pandemic, I'll be damned. I will actually fight against a Medicare for all program as somebody who was open to it and kind of like would hear arguments on it and, and knew that like maybe, you know, look at other countries and different things and, and their results. And, and you have people like, well, like Ben Shapiro will say, because Israel has a public healthcare system that's really good. He's like, it's a great place to get a broken arm. It's a terrible place to have cancer. And it's like, well, we can maybe look at why cancer rates are so high and do that kind of information. And maybe the incentives change. And maybe that leads to better regulations in the food industry. Like there's a lot of different things that I could like downstream third, fourth order effects to that, that I think could be beneficial. And I would rather have not some, not have to pay $30,000 to have a kid, $50,000 if you break your arm. That's fucking absurd. That is absolutely corrupt and absurd and disgusting, right? All that being said, if you think that during, if we had a think we had public health care, right? Whatever system, Germany, fill in the blank, whichever one you want to use as like the model for what a, what a, what a quality public health care system looks like, right? Probably not Canada, um, Israel, et cetera, Australia. If you think that our health care availability would not have been contingent on our vaccine status during COVID. You're fucking delusional. They would have taken that shit away from you if you were unvaccinated so fast it would have made your head spin. Because that's all they were doing. They were, they were coercing people into taking a drug. They were co coercing you. I get more DMs from people who got vaccinated early, thought it was the right thing to do, and were like, wow, I just got fucking conned. And you did. You did. If you were a healthy person and the value proposition didn't really line up, you got conned. And that's okay because the, the deck was stacked against you. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing to be ashamed of, but it is data to take forward in your life and maybe put that filter on some other decisions you make in the future. That's the best you can do, right? What's done is done. But that response to COVID 
absolutely put Medicare for all in the fucking ground. It's dead. It's done. Don't care if Marianne likes it. Don't care what Bernie has to say. Could not give a fuck less. That shit is done. Absolutely dead. And the fact that you're clinging on to it at this point is a joke. But you won't put the two together, even though that marriage is so abundantly obvious. And you can't even hold the people who are responsible for that accountable. So that's where we're at with that. It's just, it's, it's really frustrating for me to see this. Like it's, it's, and, and if you just like, we can just look at the comments here real quick. Like it's, it's, uh, where are they at? They're down here. Uh, Crystal is a perfect example of how, how, e- how it's easier to fool people than it is to convince them they have been fooled. That's the number one comment. 1.5 thousand likes. Crystal just lost me. Crystal, it's really important we address this issue on vaccines. RFK, okay, let's get into the details of your criticism. Crystal, oh, we don't have time for that. (laughs) Oh, man. Been a fan since rising. I can't believe how unprepared Crystal was to talk about this. Wow, I'm shocked Crystal actually denied him the chance to provide information. She really just cut him off like CNN without even going to commercial break. Yeah, this is the takes you get from CNN and MSNBC. If I want these kind of this this kind of dialogue and this kind of discourse, I'll go to MSNBC, MSNBC or CNN. That's where I'll go. Uh, Crystal is doing exactly what she accused him of doing. Every time she, she tries to tell her she's wrong, she just won't hear it. <sighs> Relieved to read about the absolute majority of people feeling the same way about this interview. I wonder if Crystal will provide the, quote, scientific papers she referred to because I know RFK can back up his claims. On this topic, Crystal comes comes across as pro-establishment, pro-deception propagandist, while JFK or RFK Jr. comes across as measured, rational, and science-based. Well done, RFK Jr. Keep up the great work. Shouting over them, not letting them speak, able to cite one factual study to back her arguments is the perfect way to interview a pre, uh, presidential candidate. <laughs> this really helps strengthen my interest in voting for RFK Jr. It's amazing how long this forum style this uh, this how long forum style interview suddenly was running out of time at the key moment. RFK's arguments against Crystal. Yeah, so you see this, and also look at this here. They got ratioed twenty thousand down, thumbs down, three point four k thumbs up. Now. I will say this, they've done more than most outlets as far as giving RFK room and time to speak, Um, but if you didn't want to have an actual discourse around the vaccine issue, you should not have brought it up, Crystal. And if you were not prepared to do that, you shouldn't have brought it up. Now, I know you think you're right, and that's fine, but the, you know, a lot of people are equally as convinced as you are about this, about um, libertarianism. That doesn't mean that they're correct and that you don't have valid points. And I wish that you could um, t- turn the emotion down a little bit and try and look at this and be relatively objective, as objective as you can be, even though it's very difficult, and really handle this like a journalist because that's not how you handle this. And that's coming from somebody who's a big fan. I pay yearly subscription for this, um, and I'm happy to do it. I support what you guys do, but this was... This was a, 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 there needs to be, this needs to be actually addressed and not just walked past um, because you don't have advertisers, right? It'd be different if you were shilling for your advertisers and that you got to do what you got to do, but your incentive is, is providing real journalism to people who care about real journalism. And that is not what happened here today. So yeah, there's that weird stuff. It's really weird. It's really weird to see that.
Today's ep- today's episode. Uh, huh? hmm? Today's episode is brought to you by me and the Connor Wanders Patreon guys, ladies. If you dig this show, if you've been here for a while and you are not in the Patreon, you are missing out on a golden opportunity to be involved in the conversation and help shape and create content to get a bonus episode every week that is formed by the Patreon for the Patreon, where we get to get into things that we may not be able to get into on the show. There's a lot of things that I can and cannot say on the show, and it's like, I'm walking a gray area. I got a video taken down off YouTube the other day. You just never know. I'm always playing with fire. But behind that little paywall in the Patreon, you get so much more. So check it out, guys. Patreon.com slash Connor Wanders. There's a link in the show notes of this show. It keeps this show alive. It keeps us running. And you also get to be a part of a cool community of like-minded folks who want to challenge ideas, who have a little bit of an anti-authoritarian bend to them, and love getting into the real roots of the problem and what we can do about them. Check it out, guys. Patreon.com slash Connor Wanders. Now, in other anti-science news, <laughs> we got to see what Jared Polis. Now, Jared Polis is our governor here in Colorado. I don't mind him. He's whatever. I'm kind of neutral on whatever. But this really grinds my gears a little. The guy's got half a billion dollars, right? He's rich. He's gay. He's got all the things. He's right. He's like he's like a, a just a like a a, 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 proto, a a quintessential Democrat nowadays, right? Like establishment Democrat, rich, gay. He's like a little. He's like a like a Pete Buttigieg. He's like got that whole thing going on. Probably a little bit more money. Uh, went to like an Ivy League school, but you know he really connects to the people here of Colorado, right? Jared Polis vetoes rule free introduction bill in Colorado. That is a deceptive headline. He does not veto. So I read this. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. He, he vetoed the reintroduction bill. But then I was like, wait, that was a ballot initiative. You can't really veto a ballot initiative. What's going on here? Because this ballot initiative barely passed to reintroduce wolves in Colorado. Funny thing is, you don't really need to reintroduce wolves because wolves are already here. They're coming down here from Wyoming. They're doing wolf things, and I'm all for that. If the wolves come down here from Wyoming and they move on, you create a management plan, and you just let them do wolf things. That's it is what it is. But that's not what we're going to do here. What we're going to do is go around the bi- wildlife biologists and we're going to force reintroduction of gray wolves into Colorado. It's like, well, gray wolves used to be in Colorado. Yeah, kind of. Okay. And I want to bring this up. Like, yeah, technically gray wolves did. But just like the white-tailed deer in Texas are much different than the white-tailed deer in North Dakota, right? A white-tailed deer in Texas weighs about 100 pounds. Right on the hoof, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. White-tailed deer in North Dakota, about two hundred pounds on the hoof, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Right, their tanks are they technically the same species of deer? Yeah, but if I put a Texas white-tailed doe average size next to a North Dakota white-tailed doe, they would look like the difference between like a uh, a Great Dane and a standard lab. Like, it's just like, there's a big difference. So they aren't the same. And you got to think a wolf that weighs a hundred pounds going to eat a lot less than a wolf that weighs 200 pounds, but we're bringing them down from Canada where they're much bigger and reintroducing 32 different, uh, two packs of 16 on the Western slope where there's a bunch of agriculture, a bunch of hunting, a bunch of elk, a bunch of deer. And that same Western slope has recently just been absolutely hammered by a few years of a drought and then a really rough winter. Antelope 
Uh, there's some reports of, of decreases of 80% in some areas of antelope population because of the wintertime. Uh, elk and deer die off. If you've never seen an elk starve to death, it's not pretty. Deer starving to death, it's not pretty. And why does that happen? Why do elk and deer struggle in these hard, hard winters? Well, one, this hard winter came after a drought, as many hard winters do. A lot of snowpack. So there wasn't a lot of grass to for them to eat when they have to dig it out. And what elk will do is they'll use their their hooves and kind of dig up a little bit of grass and they'll do that process over and over again. It's a very energetically expensive way to get food. Um, if you go to like Yellowstone in the wintertime, you'll see that elk will use their hooves and bison. Actually, if you ever see bison with a big like snow covered head, it's because they put their head into the dirt and or into the snow and just kind of plow it aside. And that's how they get to grass. It's really fun to watch. Um, but they just didn't had a really rough year and they get skinny and they, some of them just barely make it. Some of them don't make a lot of them don't make it. And you'll find areas where either they get tangled up in fences sometimes, which is really sad because the fences are kind of covered in snow. And then all of a sudden an elk steps in that fence and gets tangled up and doesn't know how to get out and starves to death. Right. Or gets ripped up by wolves or coyotes or whatever. Um, it's a really rough time. It's a, the winter time is really brutal. And what happens is there's more and more people moving to these, these areas that are building out, housing developments and apartment complexes and yada, 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 all the things that happen in what is the winter range for these undulates. So what happens is these elk and deer live in the mountains in the, in the summertime, they're moving around, they've got good grass, they've got good, they can hide, they've got all the things they need, food, shelter, uh, water. And then as the snow comes down, the snow gets deep. They move to the plains. They move down to the into the foothills and into the plains, and that's where they live out the wintertime. They have plenty of grass and plenty of ways to move around. But because humans exist, we've now put houses there. We've put apartment complexes there. We've put up fences. We've done all kinds of things to fuck with their migration patterns, right? So we put them at a disadvantage. So what that means is that these, these undulates have to live in deeper snow, which makes it really hard for them to find food, hard to move around, hard for them to be de- have defenses against their predators. Because you think about this, an animal with a hoof cannot really walk through deep snow on top of the snow. They're going to sink. They're going to you know, sink all the way down. They can't move through it very well. They're belly deep in snow. And some deer will do this, big, healthy deer will do this um, before the rut and then come down and chase does later on. You'll see a lot of guys deer hunting up high and you'll find deer like big, healthy, young, uh, like prime of their life deer walking around in belly deep snow, but it's very rare. They don't like to be in that and they definitely don't want to like to be in that when they don't have access to food. So we've now taken away of much of their winter range by people just living there, just doing their thing, right? Boulder, Denver, Colorado Springs, these big sounds that are growing and more and more people moving into those. Right, so we've put them in a dis- at a disadvantage there in many areas. So they have to stay in this deeper snow, and they can't move around as well. They can't defend themselves as well. They can't run because their defense is running away. But you know what can walk on top of packed snow? Wolves. Wolves have big, flat feet. That helps them move through snow. So that makes them picking off elk and deer super, super easy. So now we've disadvantaged these undulates in so many ways. Right. And so what is being asked of Jared Polis here and was passed through the House and the Senate here in Colorado is that they don't classify these wolves as protected species. They classify them as an experimental population. What that means is that they can be managed. And by managed, yes, I mean killed. Why would that happen? Well, as it stands, if these 
wolves are killing your livestock because you know what's way easier to kill than an elk or a deer? Oftentimes, a cow, a horse, domesticated livestock, especially calves and and young cows and horses. They can't defend themselves. They're not as fast. People are like, well, they only kill the... Somebody fucking told me this in earnest. Said, oh, they only kill the old, you know, slow ones. No, they kill the slow ones. Sometimes it's an old one, right? But if, if you want a meal, would you rather go after a seven-year-old elk with trees on its head or a brand-new six-month-old calf that's kind of clumsy still and not very fast and doesn't really know how to defend itself against you, right? A little easier to confuse, too, because they're not they haven't been around long enough to really figure it out. You're going to go after the calf, right? Most calves don't make it <laughs> in normal populations. So that's what happens. That's nature. That's part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. Cool. And wolves are already here. So we don't need to bring in more wolves because there's wolves already here. Just let the wolves do their thing. And this passes the House and the Senate to essentially make it to where you can protect your animals and livestock without becoming a felon. Now, if I shoot, say I'm out right now, say I go and I'm, me and me and I take my dog Theo and we go up on the Western slope in North, uh, Northwest Colorado and we're looking for sheds or we're out camping doing whatever. And a handful of wolves, which already exist up there, try to kill my dog, right? Come after my dog. And I shoot one of those motherfuckers, which by the way, is exactly what would happen. If if a wolf, mountain lion, bear, whatever the fuck, other person comes after my dog, that thing is going to end up taking a fucking dirt nap. And that's what it is. I'm not playing that fucking game. 1,000%. 1,000%. And right now, legally, if I were to do that, I would be faced with a $50,000 fine up to a year in prison, and I would become a felon for defending my animal. Now, I understand. If that was the case, and it was a really endangered species that needed protection, then yeah, I would. Uh, I could maybe understand that. You know? Probably would still do it, but I'd probably understand it a little more. But the thing is, wolves aren't endangered. They're fucking everywhere. Just across the border in Wyoming, you can hunt them. In Idaho, you can hunt them. They would love for you to hunt them because they decimate the elk population. Because we don't live in a pure, unbridled nature. I wish we did. I don't really fucking like civilization. I would rather, my value as a human being would be higher in a world that didn't have cities that had uh, financial districts. That's me personally. I would like the I would like it if there were less fucking people. I'm that person, right? I'm like ugh, I don't really like where Bill Gates is going with it, but I would like for there to be less people. That's me. Okay, that's my own bias here. I'd like for us to be more in touch with the world that we live in. That's not not creating other worlds within the world. I like this one. I want to be more involved with this one. But the fact that you're going to tell me that a rancher can't protect his cattle and I can't protect my animals without becoming a felon? You think you have the right to fucking tell me that because this wolf's life is more important than the life of my dog? That I see as a child almost? Why is that? Why do you get the right, Jared Polis, to tell me that's the fucking case? And he says here, and one of the reasons is, if we go down, he says the reason, let me see if I can find this here real quick. He says that it's against the interest of the voters. That the voters' interests were reintroducing 
these wolves. And that's what the voters wanted, and this was against their interests. Well, to be completely honest, as somebody who loves democracy, this never should have been up to the fucking voters in the first place. People in Boulder and Denver never should have had the right to tell people that to deal with something they'll never have to deal with because they feel good about it. That's what it was. So you need to deal with something that we will never have to deal with because it makes our feelsies feel good. That's what it was. Now, I know there's a lot of people who don't want wolves here at all. Would like for us to kill all the wolves that come to Colorado. I'm not on that. I'm not in that camp. I'm in the middle camp here where it's like the ones that are here are doing their thing. We create a management program, create regulations for when you can and can't kill them. As ranchers, if they're if they're hammering your cattle and they're smart, you guys that have dogs know this. Dogs are smart. They realize that cattle are easy food. They're going to keep going back to that same herd. Once they get on them, they're on them. So when we look at this whole thing, it's like, so we've had a bunch of people through a ballot initiative that never should have been on the ballot. It should have been done through Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and they should have had the say-so. Through that ballot initiative, you had a bunch of people who don't have to deal with the consequences of their actions telling people what they need to deal with. Farmers, ranchers who are trying to make it, who have been exploited and fucked over by these monopolies within these within the within the food packing industry or the meat packing industry and the processing situation, they've been absolutely exploited over and over again. Hey, they provide the food that we eat, and they get nothing but fucked for it. And now we're they're getting fucked again. And I just I look at this and I'm like, this is so. This is just the the the, the picture of arrogance. That we have to deal with. And I know I'm getting a little bit heated and I try to keep it more light on this show, but God fucking damn it. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating to say, hey, you get to deal with something because it feels good to me. That's been the position of the political parties for so long. For so long. And I'm, I mean, to me, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of sick of it. It's like, listen, man, I have I'm a, I'm a, I'm a civil libertarian. It's like, hey, if it doesn't hurt you, if it doesn't hurt me, you do what you want to do. You know? Do your thing, right? Now, if it does, we've got a different conversation to make. But they've gone so far as to tell me that I can't even protect the animals that I consider family. You know? Because this pretend protected species is more important. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, and the CPW may get pissed about this, I don't give a fuck. There's three things you, the three S's. If this happens and this, one of these motherfuckers is coming after one of my animals because I'm up exploring public land that I fucking pay for. Shoot, shovel, shut the fuck up. And I hate that it's come to that because I should be able to just like if a mountain lion tries to attack my dog and I kill the mountain lion, the first thing I do, get a hold of CPW. Hey, here's what happened. I've got video, I've got video, evidence. Make sure everything's cool. They come out there. They check it out. They let you know what's going on. Ask you a bunch of questions. And I respect that. But if you're going to pretend that these are protect, need to be protected, they don't. They don't. Across the fucking border, they don't. What's the difference between here in Wyoming? Here in Idaho? Like this self-righteousness is, is infected our culture. And we got to look at that. And this isn't just about, well, let's, let's take it outside of just the wolf thing, right? If you feel like you need that people need to deal with what you feel good about because it makes you feel good, you're part of the problem. People have no obligation to deal with the shit that makes you feel good, right? And this isn't just pointed at Democrats or liberals or whatever. 
That goes for you too, conservatives. That goes for you too, Christians. Muslims, whoever the fuck else. If you expect people who don't give a shit about what you believe in to deal with what you believe in because it makes you feel good, you're a narcissist. I I, I hate to break it to you. That's how it goes. And we see this all the time. So we've got to look at ourselves and be like, where in our lives are we expecting people to deal with our bullshit because it makes us feel good? Because I'm seeing it all over the place and it's done nothing but make us more divided and done nothing but make us hate our neighbors more. You know? Your beliefs are your beliefs, and you do deserve respect for your beliefs, whether you're a Scientologist or a Methodist. I don't give a shit. You know, or it's just, <laughs> what's the difference, the difference, difference between uh, cults and religion is size and time? Yeah, do your thing. But expecting other people to tolerate your bullshit because you want them to is, is a symptom of toxic narcissism. And that's what we're seeing here because Jared doesn't want to involve himself in controversial decisions. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to stand up for principles because that's the right thing to do. He wants to signal his virtue as to the people who wrote this article, because it's really, there's this cute picture of these two wolves, which wolves, by the way, are beautiful creatures. I'm saying this from a very pragmatic place, but I think that I love wolves I think they're awesome. I love canines. I can't even shoot coyotes. Now, I'll shoot wolves if I see them, and it's legal. But when it comes to defending my animals, now, of course, you can defend yourself. But defending my animals, you can't tell me I can't do that. You do not have the right to tell me that I can't do that. Especially when you, this is all fucking make-believe. So I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people actually seem to care about this. But again... I want to bring up the deeper issues. We always try to bring this back to ourselves. This may, you may see this and be like, oh, that kind of fires me up. Why? And I think it's because somebody is forcing you to deal with what makes them feel good, even though you're the one that actually has to tolerate the consequences. If you're a farmer, a rancher, a hunter, people like me, we have to deal with the consequences. We have to deal with these. And if you want to see wolves, you should have asked them to put them in Rocky Mountain National Park. You can drive up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and you can see the wolves. And you probably won't see very many elk because they don't—they're not tame. Whenever there's wolves around, whenever they're being hunted, they don't turn it. They're not tame animals. But there's about 400 of those motherfuckers living in town, so you could probably do with a few less of them up in Estes Park. But they don't want to do that. What they want to do is force it on people where it's only uncomfortable, where the only consequences are for the people who constantly get shit on by society over and over again. And if I'm not speaking up for those people, I'm not living in integrity. So I had to bring this up and share a little bit of that with you guys, even though it's frustration-driven and not the most lighthearted and carefree. Anyways, let's move on to that part of the show where I give you something to think about. about changing the music but i'm just kind of feeling this you know it sets the tone well i think let me know what you think that's one thing you can think about you know i was reading this book parenting from the inside out um 
Sorry, guys, I had to make a quick change here. So I'm reading this book, or I just finished this book called Parenting from the Inside Out uh, by Dr. Dan Siegel. Big fan of his. Talked about him on the show before. And what he was talking, talking about is how when we have children, a lot of times things that we, decisions we made, things we believe, these little things that really probably weren't that consequential in our life before children can kind of come to the surface. And we start to realize if we're open to it, that we're holding on to ideas and decisions that we made and adopted when we were children and they've stuck with us into adulthood, even if they're out of place. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really outside of having children. That's something that we can take a lot away from. And I think that personally, I find a lot of value and openness to experiences. Um, I think a lot of that comes from my life not feeling like it made sense as a kid. So I kind of leaned into curiosity as a way to kind of try to sort it out for myself. But in my coaching practice and people you know, in my life in general, I just I find this value in being very open to experiences. And I think that those two things correlate. I think that if we can immerse ourselves in novelty from time to time, not all the time, and that can be done in a variety of different ways. That can be trying something new. That can be meeting new people. That can be challenging your ideas. That can be seeing a movie you didn't think you'd want to see just because it's a little something different. It could be psychedelics. It could be all kinds of things. It could be going to fucking Burning Man or some kind of festival. These like immersive experiences where you're really balls deep in novelty, right? That can shake you out of some old ideas and old paradigms because whether you like it or not, me, you, everybody listening to this, everybody we know, we're holding on to ideas and beliefs that we accepted into our life as children, right? And the idea that all of those are good is a little bit naive. And I think with that, we can think about that in relationships and politics and religion, these different things, right? But they make up our personality and how we present ourselves to the world. And might not be the best for us, right? But if we don't go through and put ourselves in situations where we have the ability to see those things and challenge those things, well, then we just keep perpetuating the same cycles over and over again. So what I think, what I think you could think about is looking into areas of your life where you may be a little more rigid than you like to believe, right? Whether that's ideas, or the way you think about something, the way you do a thing. And just for shits and giggles, step outside of that and try something different for the sake of novelty. Because while constant novelty will have us running on this kind of hedonic treadmill and never really able to get enough, right? Always chasing that next kind of ecstatic novel, novelty-filled experience, right? That might become toxic and unhelpful for you. It can be a little bit problematic of a cycle and a negative feedback loop, if you will, like really moves us in the wrong direction. But I think consciously and mindfully applying novelty and openness to new experiences in certain areas of your life where you feel like you're not getting much out of them, right? Where you feel like you may be under-delivering for yourself can be really helpful. So maybe take a little bit of time Look at your life. Look where you're rigid. And wherever that rigidity exists, maybe it's good. But even if it is good, even if that rigidity and that, 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 that um, steadfastness is good, well, that'll be proved 
through challenging it with novelty and openness. And maybe through that challenge, you might find out that a little bit more wiggliness, a little bit more flexibility in those areas could lead to a more fulfilling way of life. But it's just something to think about. Fucking love you guys. Glad you're here. Happy to be here. Make sure to uh, check out the Patreon if you have not. And uh, keep on keeping on. Keep your head on straight. I'm about to sneeze. Gotta go. Love you, bye. (laughs) Shoot.